Chapter 30 As the day progressed, it became evident that I would eat better on this period of punishment from Mutt than I'd eaten ever since coming to Farthenwood. Tobias snuck me back better than half of his breakfast. An arrow left some food in my room while cleaning up, expressing false dismay after I ate that it was food intended for somebody else. We were to remain in our room in private study because of Princess Amarinda being in the house. But after lunch was brought to us, Tobias gave me all of his lunch and Rodden shared half. You owe me nothing, I said to Rodden. Not now, but if Connor does choose you, then I hope you'll make the same promise to me that you did with Tobias to save my life. And will you make that promise to me as well, I asked him. Rodden shrugged. I can't make Connor do what I want, not even if I were king. I clapped Rodden on the shoulder. Then, for the sake of my life, I'll have to continue hoping to be named the prince. Near us, Tobias's feet dropped to the floor and he banged on the floor for his servants. When he arrived, Tobias had said he had to use the toilet, the only reason he could be allowed out of the room. Even our lessons would be held in this room for the day. Do you think Tobias is so angry that he'll try to kill you again? Rodden asked after Tobias had gone. He wasn't trying to kill me last night. He just wanted me to think he could. Same thing as far as I'm concerned, though I guess in the end it worked out better for you. Oh, Rodden's eyes widened. Did you plan for that to happen? Tobias was getting desperate. Once he took the knife when we were in the kitchen, I knew something was bound to happen soon. Why didn't you just report that he had the knife? There's forgiveness for that, but Connor wouldn't forgive what he did last night, and Tobias knows it, so he had to agree to my terms. Rodden slowly shook his head. You let him cut you. <clears throat> A smile spread across my mouth. Well, I let him make the first cut. I thought I'd scare him into stopping. Wish I wish I had. I wish it had, because it really did hurt. Rodden laughed and shook his head incredulously. You're the craziest person I've ever met. Tobias may be more educated than you, but he's not the smartest of us, I chuckled. But Rodden turned serious and added, It really is down to you and me, Sage. I've still got to try to win. You know that. It's cruel, this game of ours, I said. Between us, you're Connor's favorite now. Rodden nodded. You can bait me all you want. I won't try to kill you. You could, though, I said. I've seen you out practicing swords with Cregan. Cregan hopes Connor chooses me, and he wants me to be ready for when he does. Rodden's voice raised in pitch. What's wrong with that? Nothing. I'm just glad to hear you're practicing for Connor's benefit and not mine. I'm running out of places to get hurt. I don't see why that's funny. I think you must like the pain because you're constantly pushing people until they hurt you. I definitely don't like the pain, I said firmly. So you do. So if you do decide to kill me, make it quick. <laughs> Rodden's laugh came without humor and we finished lunch with little more little more conversation. When Tobias returned a few minutes later, Master Graves had already arrived and begun a particularly dreary lesson 
on the great books of, and fine art of Carthia. Tobias lay on his bed for the entire lesson, causing Master Graves to remark that he never thought he'd see a lazier student than me. If <laughs> I felt a little sorry for Tobias, watching him pretend to be less than he was. But unfortunately, that was his situation now. Errol said the other two servants came in mid-afternoon to get us ready for the charade of being servants to Princess Amarinda that evening. Why so early? Rodden asked. You may have been clean orphans this week, his servants told him, but you're still orphans. It'll take a bit more cleaning up to make you worthy to, of the betrothed princess. Have you seen her? I asked. If he had, the servants would acknowledge, wouldn't acknowledge it. But while he gathered my clothes, Errol whispered to me, I've seen her. She looks as beautiful as any princess could. You should feel lucky to be able to serve her tonight. I was too tired to feel lucky or to care what the princess looked like. I told Errol he could, could take my place tonight, which he said was fine if I'd do the laundry in his place. That was the end of our bargaining. Making us worthy servants included trimming the uneven ends of our hair so that it would tie back neatly, filing our nails, and lecturing us on the importance of always standing up straight around anyone we served. Unfortunately for Errol's best efforts on my behalf, the shorter side of my hair refused to stay out of my face. Finally, he gave up and told me to keep it pushed back whenever I was around the princess. We both knew I probably wouldn't. When we were finished, they placed us in front of mirrors. In front of mirrors. Our white undershirts were cut closer to the arms to avoid the sleeves touching any of the food as, we, as it was served. The vests we wore over them were simple, earth-colored and laced up the front. And the boots were low and secondhand. I snorted a laugh. Everything here is about costumes. We don't know the first thing about being servants, but they're certainly dressed us for the part. This is my part, Tobias mumbled beside me. Now, I like them. Rodden twisted in an attempt to see how he looked from the back. It's easier to move in than the clothes Connor has had us in all week. Mott entered the room and surveyed each of us. I wondered if he'd polished his bald head. I lo it looked shinier than usual, and he wore clothes nearly as fancy as Connor. He was to be distinguished tonight as something more than a servant, though still not worthy to sit at the table. With a very stern voice, he said, As long as none of you does anything stupid, I believe tonight will be successful. Here are some things each of you must remember. Never address a, ma address a master first, and never look at them in the eye unless they are speaking specifically to you. You follow my directions and never take any initiative with the princess unless I order it. Looking straight at me, Mott added, You three must remember that you are in disguise. The worst thing that could happen would be for the princess to remember meeting you here tonight after you are presented at court. That cut is still evident on your face, Sage. It'll be healed by the time I'm presented at court, I said. Besides, Imogene once served us with a bruise on her cheek, so this should only help me fit in better with the other servants. 
Mott didn't rise to the remark. And how are the wounds on your back, specifically the one caused by the window? If I'd had more to eat today, they'd probably be healing faster. <laughs> He's so... Yeah. Mott smirked and glanced at Errol for an answer. No signs of infection, sir, Errol reported. That's good, Mott said, because I'd expect a dirty window to have caused infection. I did hear that a knife was missing from the kitchen last night. One of the chef's sharpest blades. Those are kept very clean. Only one knife was missing? Tobias glanced at me and then quickly looked away when I tilted my head in response to his silent question. He whispered something under his breath. I'm sure some sort of curse aimed at me. That wasn't a problem. The devils were used to receiving curses with my name on them. One knife, Mott said, walking over to stand directly in front of Tobias, with a blade about as long as Sage's wound. Do you know anything about it? Tobias took a step backward, and his eyes darted around as he searched for a response, but I spoke up. None of us would know where the chef's mis chef misplaced the knife. And fortunately, I have no intention of going out that particular window again. So there should be no injuries in the future. Mott scoffed, making it clear he didn't believe me. But all he said was, line up behind your servants, boys. The dinner will be ready soon. Chapter 31. Connor's dinner that night was served with great in the great hall, not the dining room where we eaten all week. Several guests were already there, but the princess and her parents, who apparently had accompanied her to Farthenwood, had not yet entered. I was assigned as a door servant with no apparent function other than to stand beside the doors of the great hall and observe as other servants came and went. Tobias's and Rodden's assignments was no better. They stood at the far end of the room, tasked with the job of closing the curtains if the setting sun got in anyone's eyes. Mott announced Princess Amarinda's arrival, along with the entrance of her parents and some of their courtiers. Amarinda was, a beautiful, was as beautiful as Connor had described her, with chestnut brown hair swept away from her face and falling in, the thick, cur and falling in thick curls down her back and piercing brown eyes that absorbed her surroundings. As she recognized Connor, her entire face lit up with a smile that was warm and inviting. Here, in Connor's home, the guest had made the owner feel welcome. Connor stood along with the others at his table and bowed to Princess Amarinda and to her parents. Master Graves had told us about them and how Amarinda came to be the betrothed princess. Betrothed means that she's like promised or planned to marry the prince from when a young age. The alliance between Amarinda and the house of King Eckbert was made at her birth. She was three years younger than Darius and the product of a lengthy search by Eckbert. He wanted a foreign girl whose connections were powerful enough to forge a marriage that would create a bond between her country and Carthia but not a direct heir to the throne who would have political ambitions of her own. Amarinda was a niece to the king of Baimar. Before she was even old enough to crawl as an infant, her parents had promised her to whoever inherited Eckbert's throne. 
most likely Darius. And although she was never been she'd never been given a choice in marriage, the older Amarinda became, the more her admiration for Darius grew. Both were said to be eager for the time when she would be of age and they would they could marry. Amarinda stopped when she passed me beside the door. What are you staring at? Whatever rules Mott had given us blurred in my head. I could speak to her if she was addressing me, but she was only addressing me because I looked right at her, which is not allowed. Forgive me, Highness, Mott said. Forgive him, Highness, Mott said, stepping forward. No forgiveness is requested. I merely wondered what a servant found so in- what a servant found so interesting. I looked to Mott to see if I should answer. With a stern warning in his eyes, he nodded permission at me, and I said, You've got dirt on your face. She arched her eyebrows. Is that a joke? No, your highness. On your neck. Amarinda turned to her attendant, who flushed and wiped the dirt off. Why didn't you tell me that before I walked in here? Amarinda asked her. You led the way, highness. I didn't see it. But he did, and he's the, he's only a servant. But he did, and he's only a servant. She turned back to me apologetically. Before leaving my room, I had the window open and paused to look out. I must have gotten some dirt on my face then. I never said the dirt detracted from your beauty, Highness, I told her, only that it was there. With a somewhat embarrassed smile, she nodded at me in return and then continued on, taking her seat. Out of the corner of my eye, I caught Connor looking at me Though his expression was so controlled, I couldn't tell whether he was amused, relieved, or furious. Dinner smelled so good as it was served that it took considerable willpower not to reveal that I was in disguise at the moment and to sit down and eat with the others. A large roast had been prepared with boiled carrots and potatoes, hot bread, and some sort of imported cheese the name of which I didn't recognize when Connard offered it to Amarinda. Imogene was one of the servants of the meal. I noticed a cut on her forehead and wondered if Connor would dismiss that as yet another clumsy moment. No matter how long I stared at her as she served, she avoided my eyes each time she entered or exited the room. Had I offended her somehow? Or was she keeping herself away from the increasing danger that surrounded Connor's plans? Across the room, Tobias was disinterested and lackluster. He stared at the floor and soon faded into the background. Rodden looked hungry, and I caught him staring at the princess with a powerful expression of admiration. The conversation at the table began with shallow pleasantries. Connor described his life in the country away from the politics of Driliad. Amarinda discussed her travels as she toured Carthia in the recent weeks. Her parents understood that as an heir to the throne, she was far more important than they were, and deferred to her in leading the conversation. After the main course was served, Connor steered to the com- steered the conversation directly to the topic I was sure he had intended for us to hear, the plans for her eventual wedding and ascension to the throne. 
Admirinda pressed her lips together, then said, Perhaps there will never be a wedding, she glanced over at Connor, who feigned appropriate concern. After a moment, she added, There is a rumor that came to me only a few days ago regarding the king and queen and their son. Oh? Connor, uh, Connor's wide eyes actually looked curious. He knew exactly what that rumor was, and I couldn't help but respect his acting skills. You haven't heard it. I was told the king and queen and their son are touring the northern country, which they often do at this time of year. And may I ask when you last saw them? It's been a few weeks, Connor said, before, they, before their trip to Galleon. And they were well? Certainly. Amarinda's father spoke up. Then the rumor cannot be true. He heaved a sigh of relief and took his wife's hand. She also looked relieved. Rumors have always surrounded the royal family, Connor said, as if the matter weren't settled. It's the cheapest entertainment for everyday folk. There was laughter at the table, except for Amarinda, whose solemn voice took control of the room. I heard they're dead, murdered. The laughter fell silent, and she continued, All three of them poisoned during their supper and dead by morning. Mott glanced at me from his position and looked, shook his head, warning me not to react. I forced a disinterest, blank expression onto my face despite the churning in my stomach. If I reacted, Connor would change the subject, but I needed them to continue talking about it because no matter how easily he could avoid giving us more details, he'd have a harder time dodging the princess. However, the one question at the top of my head was the one I knew she'd never ask. Would the person who steps in as the prince become the next victim? Connor leaned forward and clasped his hands together. Highness, you are scheduled to be at the castle in Drilliad tomorrow, correct? When she nodded yes, let the rumor lie until then. Whenever, whether it's true or false, it will be verified once you're there. Waiting is more easily said than done, Admirina's voice was heavy with sadness. If there's no heir, there's no betrothed princess. I'll be a widow without having him remarried. Even the rumor is true, even if the rumor is true, there may be another way, Connor said. Perhaps all this is all is not lost for you or for Carthia. Amarinda arched an eyebrow, curious. Connor waited several seconds to continue, which I knew was to increase her anticipation. It was heartless, even cruel. Finally, he said, what if Prince Jaren were alive? Amarinda froze. Everyone at the table did, except Connor, who was enjoying this moment far too well. He manipulated those around him as though we were all pawns in his twisted game. I hated that my life had become entwined with his. Finally, Amarinda's mother said, Everyone knows Prince Jaren was killed by pirates four years ago. Are you telling us this is not so? I'm only saying that there's always hope. Connor then addressed himself to Amarinda. Highness, perhaps... You may soon claim the throne after all. Am I that shallow? Amarina 
Amarinda stood angry. Do you think I cared about the throne and not the prince? You talk about Jaren's return as if it would solve all of our problems, but it's Darius who concerns me. I need to know where, he, if he is alive. She closed her eyes in a moment, gain, regaining calm, and then said more call, softly, You must forgive me, but I'd like to return to my room. I have a headache. Her father rose to escort her out, but she raised a hand to stop him. No, father, you should stay and continue the evening. My ladies will accompany me. My man will see to you, you to your room, Connor said, gesturing to Mott. Amarinda eyed me, and lowered, and I lowered my head, willing her to look anywhere else. That boy can see me here, can see me there. That boy can see me there. Connor hesitated, then smiled and nodded his permission at her. I wondered if perhaps he wasn't allowed to refuse her, or maybe he liked her suggestion. I didn't. I don't know the way, Highness, I said. It was a stupid lie and poorly told. Hers was the room where I had bathed on my first day in, at Farthenwood. I do. All I ask is for an escort. Connor waved me away, so I borrowed, so I bowed her, bowed to her, and we walked into the Connor's great hallway. I led the way up to the master staircase, up the master staircase, which seemed endless on this trip. All I wanted was to take her to her room, then get away. Behind me, Amarinda said, "You obviously never escorted royalty before. Do you expect?" me to keep up with you at this speed? I set the pace, boy. I stopped, but did not turn around. My apologies, I mumbled. You do not have my forgiveness yet. Let's see how you do from here. When she was close behind me, I continued walking slower this time. What's your name, she said. Sage. That's it? I'm a servant, Highness. Do I require more of a name? I am known to most only as Amarinda. Am I a servant as well? She supplied her own answer. Of course I am. I exist only to ensure that there is a reputable queen for Carthia when the time comes. Have you heard of Prince Darius? Of course. Have you heard the rumors of his death? I've heard them, and they weren't rumors. She touched my arm to get my attention. I stopped, but kept my gaze low. Is he really dead, Sage? If you know, you must tell me. Perhaps you know someone who works in the castle at Drillian. Surely you servants talk with one another. For the first time, I turned to face her, though I didn't dare look her in the eyes. The servant wondered that the servants wondered what Amarinda will do if she has to marry Prince Jaren to gain the throne. If he is alive, of course. Amarinda didn't answer for a very long time. Finally, she said, You speak too boldly for a servant. I continued walking again. Amarinda caught up to me and said, Is Jaren really alive? Whether the king's family is living or dead, if Jaren is alive, he must be presented at court. I stopped in front of Amarinda's door, still keeping my eyes on the floor. Here's your room, my lady. You told me you didn't know where it was, and quickly I 
and quickly realized what a stupid lie it had been. Rather than respond to her, I asked, Is there anything else you need? Do you wonder why I asked you to escort me, Sage? I shook my head and might have sighed a little too loudly. My back hurt from so much standing. I hadn't eaten yet and was tired of pretending. Beyond that, I didn't want to hear that the girl who'd have, marry, have to marry me one day, if I was declared Prince Jaren, really loved the prince's oldest brother. I asked you here because you spoke honestly to me before. If I'd entered that room with a face smeared in mud and asked another servant how I looked, he'd have bowed and told me I look as beautiful as ever. When you're in my position, Sage, you come to realize how few people you can trust. She waited, expecting me to respond. When met with silence, she went on. So I must, so I trust your opinion on my dilemma. Should I continue on to Drillia, hoping Prince Darius will greet me there, but knowing in my heart that something is wrong? Or shall I stay away, knowing that if there is no Darius, I am no longer a betrothed princess and have to place, have no place on Drilliad? This time I looked directly at her. Although her eyes were so perceptive, I immediately looked away again. You should go to the castle, Highness. You should always choose on the side of hope. That's good advice. I have less of a headache now than before, Sage. Thank you for that. She smiled sadly. Do you envy me as a royal? I shake my head. I shook my head. The closer I got to the castle and Drilliad myself, the more I dreaded it. Many do. I'm glad you can appreciate your station in life as a servant. I'm a servant too, you know, perhaps with finer clothes and servants of my own, but few choices about my life belong to me. We're not so different, you and I. She was closer to the truth than she realized, but I held my tongue. She stared at the ground. Why will you not, will you not look at me? No, my lady, if I cannot look at you as an equal, I will not look at all. She placed a hand on my cheek and softly kissed the other one, then whispered, Remember this moment, Sage, when someone of my status offered a kindness to someone of yours. Because next time we meet, if Darius is dead, I will, be, I will no longer be of any, any one of importance. Then she entered the room with her ladies in tow. Only after her door was shut did I look up again. Darius was dead, and very soon she and I would meet as equals, but I had the feeling it wouldn't be a date she ended up celebrating. Chapter 32 Where are you going? Mott asked as I began walking away. He was never far behind. To my room. My back hurts. How will it look to everyone at dinner if the servant who left with Amarenda fails to return? How will it look if that servant's bandages bleed through and he drips blood on Connor's dining table? Come on, Mott said with a sigh. I'll walk you to your room. You don't have to. I know the way. Saving you from getting lost is not the reason I'm here. Tell me, what do you think of the betrothed princess? I think she loves Darius. There's plenty of time for her to learn to love Jaren. Besides, this is the way of life for royals. 
They do their duty to their country, and if they are very lucky, it will sometimes bring them happiness. I don't want anyone to do their duty for me, I grumbled. A charade like that is not for her. Connor is preparing you to wear a mask for the rest of your life, Mott said. It's better that your queen pretends to love you, because if she truly did, she would only love a lie. That hardly made me feel better. Errol was sitting on the bench just outside my bedroom door. He stood as he saw us coming. Are you ill? he asked me. Get me some dinner, I growled, pushing past him to enter my room. And no, I don't need help dressing. Ironically, I did need help. My shoulders and back had stiffened over the past few hours of standing, and with every movement, I felt my wounds might tear open again. When Errol returned with a tray of food several minutes later, he found me sitting on the floor with an unbuttoned shirt and vest. Errol set the tray on Tobias's desk and then silently went to the wardrobe to gather my night clothes. He was able to pull off my shirt without causing me too much pain and without asking, checked my bandages. Imogene is occupied at the dinner downstairs, he said. You must let me clean those wounds. They look hot. I leaned forward, which took less work than arguing. He soaked a towel in the alcohol and pressed it to my back. I arched it with, with the inevitable sting, then relaxed as it slowly passed. Every servant at Thar Farthenwood knows Tobias cut you, Arrow murmured. I'd be surprised if the master doesn't hear of it soon. The servants are mistaken. I was trying to climb out a window. We hear things, Sage, more than you know. Then you obviously know why Rodden and Tobias and I are here. Are Connor's servants loyal to him, to his plan? Shortly after you came, Connor impressed upon us the sacred nature of what he's doing, how important it is to Carthia. To be sure, he threatened us dearly if word of his plan leaks outside Farthenwood. But he shouldn't worry, nor should you. This is a secret we will all carry to our graves. If you are chosen as prince, I will treat you just as I would a true royal. With that, he finished bandaging me up. He pulled my nightclothes on and even fastened them in front, which I was more than capable of doing. When he stood to leave, I said, Thanks for helping tonight, Errol. Thanks for helping every night. I know I'm difficult. I'll take that as an apology, sir. Your dinner is on the desk there. Good night. I was in bed when Rodden and Tobias came into the room. Tobias entered more quietly than you with Jewel and lay down on his bed indifferently. Rodden crossed over to me and said, Connor was furious that you didn't return to the dining room tonight. I heard him ask Mott to come get you right now. I groaned. How can he expect us to see ourselves as royalty when he treats us as slaves? Errol entered the room and began rummaging through my drawers. I'm sorry, Sage, but it's true. Connor has asked to see you. Mott is waiting outside to take you to see him. I winced as I rolled out of bed. Errol held up clothes for me, but I shook my head. If he asks for me at night, he'll find me in night clothes. It's inappropriate, Errol said. And it's indecent of him to summon me when he knows I'm asleep. I opened the door to leave, but Mott blocked the doorway and shook his head at me. I won't bring you to the master like that. Allow Errol to dress you, or I'll do it. I shut the door in his face and held out my arms to Errol, 
who hurried forward, clothes in hand. Minutes later, Mott was walking me, fully dressed, down to Connor's office. Am I in trouble? I asked. That depends on your answers to his questions. Connor was in the middle of writing something when he entered his when we entered his office. Mott directed me to stand in front of his desk, but I sat. A minute or two passed before Connor even acknowledged I was there. Finally, he set the quill down and looked up at me. What did you think of her? The princess? I shrugged. She's beautiful. I'd heard the betrothed princess was more horse than woman. Bite your words, Connor hissed. You're speaking of the future queen of Carthia. That is, if the prince is found. And yes, she has most unexpectedly become a beautiful woman. Why did she choose to as- why did she choose you to escort her out? Because I told her about a spot of dirt on her face before I think she appreciated the honesty. You're lucky she did. She might as easily have had you whipped for being disrespectful. I've already been whipped. And stabbed, I hear. Mott has my story on that incident, sir. A story which is probably a lie. At Farthenwood, lies and truth blur together. Only lies in pursuit of truth, Sage. My body ached with tiredness. All I wanted was to finish this pointless conversation and go back to sleep. But there was one question I needed answered. Why did you allow me to go with her? When you bring me to court, she'll recognize me. If I bring you to court, don't mistake my tolerance for you as any sort of favoritism. Quite the contrary. My question stands, sir. Why did you allow me to go with her? The possibility of her recognizing you did concern me for a moment. Then I decided you can easily explain that I kept you in hiding here until you could be presented at court. In fact, that you two already met could be seen as an advantage. Now, I have some questions for you. I have a few more questions first. Connor arched his eyebrow. Oh, what if Prince Jaren is alive? Then he returns to the castle to find me sitting on his throne. I don't think he'll appreciate that. Jaren is dead. I told you once before that I have proof of it. Besides, the pirates off the coast of Avenia are ruthless. The reason nobody was ever found was because they likely destroyed everything identifiable about him. Whatever trouble he may have caused his family, the king and queen loved Jaren. The queen, in particular, never gave up searching for any trace of him in the years that followed. That was all in vain. I doubt he was even alive by the time his ship sunk. What's your proof? I present that to the boy I choose as prince, and to nobody else. If you can prove Jaren's dead, then can you also prove to the regents that Jaren survived? At court, Jaren will confess that he has been hiding all these years in an orphanage right under their noses. He went by the name of Sage or Rodden or Tobias, but has come back now to claim the throne. What if another orphan steps forward to say he knew us before Jaren was killed? He would say they are mistaken, and perhaps one night that orphan would disappear. Thrones have been claimed over thinner evidence than we have, Sage. Besides, my prince will have evidence of his identity. What? Connor shook his head slightly. I'll save that answer until my prince is chosen. 
but rest assured it is something that will identify my choice as the prince without doubt. Now, to my questions. What did Princess Amarinda talk with you about after you two left? She's worried that the king's family is dead, despite your assurances that she shouldn't worry. She doesn't seem to believe there's any hope of Jaren being alive, and I don't think she'd want him even if he were. She's afraid, sir. Connor smiled. We can use that to our advantage. Use her fear to make her more apt to accept the prince when I present him, so that even if she has doubts, she'll accept him because she needs it to be true. I couldn't hide my disdain as I glared at him. It was disgusting that he'd think so quickly of how he might benefit from her pain. Don't make that face at me, Connor cried. How convenient it must be for you to play the pious victim when it benefits you, or to be the prince, or the servant, or the orphan. Yet I must at all times be the keeper of this unholy plan. I do not celebrate my role in Carthia's future, but I have accepted it. Have you? Any expression vanished from my face. Yes, sir, I have. I am your prince. You think too highly of yourself. Tobias can no longer be trusted, but Rodden presents some fine advantages. I believe he has been underestimated this week. He has learned more than any of you in such a short time. There was nothing I could say to that, he said. I'm sorry, he had. Connor continued. What I wonder is if you want to be the prince. I sense you battling that decision internally, perhaps because you're afraid of the consequences of being caught, perhaps because you cannot picture yourself sitting on the throne. And yet, here you are, telling me to my face that you are my prince. I threw out a hand, then immediately regretted the gesture when the movement pinched in my back. Would you choose Rodden, who rushes toward the throne with no thought of the consequence? He has no idea what he's accepting. I have thought about it, Connor, and I am your prince. Connor clasped his hands together, and a glint of triumph flickered in his eyes. I believe that what I suspected all along was true. All you ever needed was the proper discipline and the right motivation. I can see that you are finally bending to my will, and that pleases me. I, it did not please me. Tired as I was, I still had plenty of energy to be angry with his smugness. However, I simply asked, Can I go now? He hesitated a moment, then nodded, and I left without looking at him. As Mott escorted me back to my room, he tried to make conversation, but I ignored him. Connor's words still rang in my ears. With every step closer to the throne I took, I felt myself bending too. I only hoped I could get to the end before Connor broke me completely. Chapter 33 Amarinda left with her entourage early the next morning and our tutoring, tutoring schedule resumed. resumed. Radin's reading wasn't fluent, but he was amazing considering how recently he'd begun learning. I thought he would be good enough to get by if Connor chose him as prince. Mott pulled me out of Mistress Havila's class to work on sword fighting with him, even though I insisted I couldn't fight with my back in bandages. If we wait for a full healing, healing, it will be too late, he said. We'll both use wooden swords today. He took one for himself and tossed me the other. I jumped away from it 
and it landed in the dirt. Afraid of a wooden sword, Mott teased. Just demonstrating my skills in evading an attack, I said. A grin tugged at my, the edge of my mouth. Impressed? No, pick it up. When I complied, Mott stepped me through the basic defensive moves. If you can't attack like Jaren, at least I can teach you to defend yourself. He thrust his sword at me. I moved mine in an attempt to block it, but his went right past mine and jabbed my ribs. You're worse than I last saw it when bleh, you're worse than when I last saw you, Mott said. You shouldn't have whipped me so hard. You shouldn't have let yourself get stabbed. I smiled and swung my sword low to the left, getting in a swat on his thigh. Not bad, Mott said, but you lack the discipline that would be expected of a prince. I could always say that I'm out of practice. Nonsense. Prince Jaren was an amazing swordsman for his age before he disappeared. You cannot be as pathetic as you are now and hope to pass for him. Why do you think his sword was made? I blocked his attempt to graze my shoulder, maybe to encourage him to take his studies more seriously. Jaren always took sword fighting seriously. He is known to have once declared in front of the entire court that he intended to lead the Carthian armies in war one day. Then he sounds like a fool, I said, thrusting forward. Mott dodged me and easily blocked my move. Mistress Havila said that Eckbert was a peaceable ruler at all costs. Carthia has avoided war for generations. Carthia has enemies, Sage. Darius understood that. Perhaps Jaren did as well. Their father never did. Are you saying Eckbert was a bad king? He wasn't evil, just naive. Each year, his enemies have grown stronger, forged alliances, stockpiled their weapons. Eckbert failed to see their hungry eyes as they looked toward Carthia. Mott shrugged. He failed to see the enemies within his own castle. I used this, the opportunity to jab at his side, then followed it with a slice that threw his sword off balance. Mott backed up two steps and readjusted his grip. Good move, Sage. Very unexpected. I fought better with Jiren's sword, I said. You fought better because it was a superior sword, even as an imitation. It's too bad that it's been taken. Connor now believes it wasn't any of you three boys. He thinks one of the servants took it to sell, knowing you boys would get the blame for it. Cregan probably took it to help train Rodden. Unlikely. You dislike Cregan, Sage, but he serves Connor well. He'd do anything Connor asked. So would you. Mott stopped and lowered his sword. I wouldn't kill for him. That's my limit. I couldn't let that go unanswered. Then your limits are meaningless. Creaking killed Latimer on Connor's orders, and you helped it happen. That's the same thing. Something flickered in Mott's eyes. He pressed his lips together and said, Our lesson is over. Hang up your sword, and I'll walk you back to the house. The rest of the day was taken up with lessons. So much information was being pushed into our heads that it's a wonder none of them exploded. Tobias was eventually sent back to our room as punishment for sleeping during the lessons, and he was clearly relieved to be going. That gave a burst of energy to Rodden, who saw it as his chance to be the star student. After all, it, I wasn't much more interested than Tobias had been. 
Tobias stopped me in the hall as we were being escorted to dinner with Connor that evening. You remember your promise to me, right? You'll make sure I live through this? That's still my promise, I said. Tobias exhaled in a sigh of relief. Then let me help you become the prince. What do you need? I want nothing from you, Tobias. Just loyalty. If I'm chosen. Tobias lowered his voice further. I wasn't going to kill you the other night. I never had any intention of doing that. The knife was sharper than I thought. What I thought was only a surface wound. It will heal. I think Mott suspects the truth. Maybe Connor, too. You have my promise, Tobias. You will live. I trust you, Tobias paused, as if he were weighing his own words. I do, Sage. I trust you. Keep up, you two, Mott called back to us. Connor is waiting. We caught up to Rodden and Mott shortly before we arrived at the dining room. Once there, Mott opened the door to allow Rodden and Tobias in, but he put a hand on my shoulder to hold me back and shut the door again. My heart raced, but I tried to keep my expression calm. Mott looked very serious, and I had no trouble thinking of any number of reasons why he might be about to punish me. Whatever you think I've done, I began, but he shook his head to silence me. I didn't know he was going to kill Latimer, Mott said in a low voice. You had figured it out before I did. The memory of Latimer turning just before he was struck with Cregan's arrow was burned into my mind. It was relentless in my dreams at night and haunted my steps in the day. If only I'd realized what was happening a few seconds earlier, it might have been enough to save him. Why are you telling me this? I asked. He shrugged. I guess I just wanted you to know that I remember what you said down in the dungeons. Connor doesn't own me either. Connor had news for us that evening. Do you remember when we spoke of the prime regent, Veldergraf? He is the one who aspires to become king, the one we must prevent from taking the throne because of the damage he will do to Carthia. I received an interesting letter from him tonight which is both distressing and encouraging. To illustrate, Connor held up a few papers, which I assumed was Valdegrath's letter. The encouraging news is that he has heard the rumor that Prince Jaren may be alive. I knew he was meeting Princess Amarinda earlier today to travel with her as far as Eberstein on the outskirts of Driliad, where he maintains a home. I expect she told him. These bo this bodes well for my prince's acceptance at court, if it is less of a surprise when I announce him. And the bad news, I asked? The bad news as is that word is also spreading of the king and queen's deaths. A decision cannot be made as to who will take the throne until the end of the week, but Veldegrath will use the fear of their deaths to build more support for himself. He wrote to ask me whether I have any solid information as to Prince Jaren's whereabouts. My response to him was nonspecific, which will test his patience, but it does bias another day. Another day for what? Tobias asked. Connor took a deep breath and then said, I will choose my prince in two days' time. Then we will leave immediately for Drilliad. Tobias, Rodden, and I looked at one another. There was a surprising little enthusiasm there was surprisingly little enthusiasm from any of us, and Connor noticed. 
I might have expected some excitement, he said. What will become of the two boys who aren't chosen, I asked. Connor paused, and then he said, I haven't decided that yet. Everyone in the room knew that was a lie.